the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. He who fights with monsters should be careful lest he thereby becomes a monster. And if thou gaze long into an abyss, the abyss will also gaze into thee. The tormentor becomes the tormented. When it's all said and done, I have a feeling this is going to be the story of this generation. It's a theme. It's going to it's definitely already starting to be a theme for the Me Too Me Too movement. More specifically as it pertains to Hollywood, uh I don't know if you saw this but uh Asia Argento Asia Argento, she was one of the real first and real outspoken accusers of Harvey Weinstein. Um, she was the one that really got the global Me Too movement going and an avalanche of accusations all across the industry, which, you know, I think is good. I mean, they've known about it forever. Hollywood just decided to all of a sudden signal their virtue and go, oh, my gosh, we are so against that. So it brought light to the dark side behind all the glitz and glamour in Hollywood. And we have become now accustomed to the virtue virtue signaling of actors and actresses and anyone who's involved in the entertainment industry. They just love going on late night talk shows, preaching at award shows, championing a cause. Oh, I look at me. I'm so virtuous. Most of us just keep our mouths shut. Even when they, you know, try to hype a man like Howard Zinn, the message the message Hollywood has been all too giddy, uh, giddy to send is this. Our vir- virtue is greater than yours. And the rest of all you little people need to bask in how ridiculously awesome and woke we are. Oh, and vote Democrat. So let me go back to Asia Argento. Now, she began writing op-eds in publications like The Guardian. Then she took her, her, her message political. She slammed right-leaning political parties in Italy. She slammed President Trump. She wrote in April, just four months ago, quote, the exploitation of women has been central to each of their paths to power. Weinstein used his company to hunt for prey. Trump used the Miss USA pageant to gain power and influence in the business and media world. For speaking truth to power, I've been called a whore, a liar, a traitor, and an opportunist. The one thing... One thing I will not be, though, the one thing none of us should be, is silenced. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh she's so virtuous. Turns out that her, uh, uh, that her um, you know, uh, silence is uh, something she tried to get uh, her victim to, uh, to be. Just to you know, have a little silence. Came out this weekend, Argento paid a former child actor $380,000 in hush money. Why? Well, you'll never guess. 16 years after she was allegedly assaulted by Weinstein, she took an underage boy to a hotel room, got him drunk, and sexually assaulted him. So Me Too is now coming for one of its founders. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, those who who shout and point the loudest are often the ones most guilty. Weinstein brought a nationwide spotlight on something that everyone in Hollywood already knew. They just didn't want it out in public until now. When the dust clouds settle, I truly expect, uh, you know, 
black tar just to be all over the Hollywood soul. And it will finally be exposed. But I also expect that they're going to continue their virtue signaling. The question is, will anyone buy it anymore? It's Monday, August 20th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. It's amazing how much is just coming down. How the walls of everything are... It's almost like a prediction I made about 15 years ago. How everything that you thought was so solid is just coming down. You know, the um, education system, the Hollywood system, the entertainment, television, media, news, politicians, courts, police, neighbors. I mean, everything. Has, has your opinion, is your opinion solid on anything? Is your opinion what your opinion was on anything? 10, 15 years ago. On anything? Well, yes, of course. Uh, but there have been changes. There have been changes. I've certainly lost faith uh, in any aspect of government to do anything correct. Correct. I didn't that, have a lot of that. No, I never but was. I had some. Yeah. I had some. Yeah. Uh, there was definitely a change in that yeah. in that level of trust. I, I believed in the judicial system. Nope. I mean, I, you know, I still think it's pretty good as if you, if you compare it to anything else uh any other judicial system around the world but you know it's definitely if ha- there's been hesitations there i, I definitely I used to been- believe i used to believe that for the most part justice is done and and it's and i'm not sure anymore i have gone through it and i've seen the underbelly and how politics plays a role and what the government can and can't do or can and won't do um I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's there's more abuse of it than I I think I would have expected expected back yeah. in those days. And the same thing yeah. I think applies to to issues of war and privacy, those sorts of things that we've I think both moved towards the libertarian way a little bit Big more. Um, I mean, I was I was listening to um, uh, the 2000s on CNN. Uh, happened to oh, pop you're the it. one watching <laughs> CNN? I don't know that anyone is. Okay. But I was flipping through the channels, and yeah. I, and it was on the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the rock of the 2000s. And they give the, they're giving examples, and they give Coldplay, and then Nickelback. And their basic concept was that the rock of the 2000s you know, was, was terrible. Right, like this is just like you know, Coldplay was catchy. Nickelback had a lot of fans, but these this is they meant nothing. Rock's supposed to have this message. And then shut they, up. They said the one example from the 2000s is Green Day because they were taking on the establishment. Uh, they stood up, yeah, and they took a stand, yeah, and they they pushed back against the man, yeah, right. That and Pearl Jam, <laughs> no, well, yeah, that was more of the night. I mean, they were in the 2000s, and yeah. so was Green Day from the 90s, but, right? Uh, the American Idiot was their big example. Mm-hmm. If you remember this, it was a big deal at the time, sure. And they start, you know, they do the typical thing where they have people commentating on it, and then they go back to clips of the song, and they bounce back and forth. And I'm listening, and I, you know, I haven't listened to that song in years. And I remember at the time it being sort of annoying. I mean, you know, American idiot. It's so easy, right? Mm-hmm. But you go back and list, look at the lyrics to the song, and it's every, it's the exact opposite. These sides have completely changed. Oh, give me, give me the lyrics. Like, so what? What is their complaint there? You don't want to be an American idiot. Do you want to be a nation under the new media, right? 
the media is controlling the agenda they say throughout uh, every, it's, it's it's all it's all about that now of course it would be the right saying that now right mm-hmm. it's the media is influencing people the wrong way right they also go into can you hear the sound of hysteria it's the age of paranoia well what side is making the handmaid's tale right now it's not the right it's, it's not the, even that they're making the handmaid's right, tale and it's praising that they're, it. they're praising it's it and saying look at the parallels Exactly. What parallels? There's no parallels right. there. I mean, think about, you know, we have uh, Alyssa Milano out in uh, in a protest this weekend in the Handmaid's Tale outfit saying, I think it says, never Kavanaugh, never Gilead. Now, Gilead's oh the God. fake country that yeah, yeah, sprouts yeah, yeah. up in Handmaid's Tale that, that we're going to wind up, you know, subjugating women and all these terrible, terrible things. Combine that with climate hysteria. Who is the paranoia? Who, where's the paranoia coming from? It's certainly not the right. So we're talking about the Green Day American Idiot was a stance against the machine. The machine at the time, as the left saw it, was evil George W. Bush and evil uh, the evil media supporting the Iraq war in their mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So here now we're on the other side of this. Who's creating the paranoia? Clearly the left. The media is clearly uh, doing this, the, the controlling the conversation in ways that the right is not uncomfortable with, and then the president, who's a Republican, has the same view of the Iraq War as they did in the song. <laughs> <laughs> they both thought it was, so. They actually got the the view mm-hmm. on that war that they wanted in office, and they're still constantly complaining about it. I mean, these things change so fast. This is the exact flip of what we're talking about now. And it was this big monumental thing back in the day. It was a it was an important piece of art, according to CNN. So I, you know, I have a couple of things from this weekend that are that are kind of similar to this. I went to see Crazy Rich Asians. Have you seen that yet? I did not. No. Okay, big movie that was number one. Really good. Really, really good. First movie with an all or mostly Asian cast yeah, in twenty five years. Yeah, it's since the Joy Luck Club. Um, <laughs> it's really good. Um, and, uh, and funny and fun and yada, yada, yada. But basically it's a little bit of the great Gatsby scenes where it's just, I mean, it's the, it's the most accurate movie title I've ever, it's crazy rich Asians. Okay. I really thought there was irony in the title, but no, it's not. They're crazy rich, crazy rich. Okay. Uh, and they're, it's, it takes place in Singapore and uh, it's about a guy who basically is, you know, he's like a Prince Harry kind of character from Singapore. He's not actually royalty, but wildly famous, the most famous bachelor in Singapore, um, you know, good looking, wildly, wildly wealthy. And I think their grandfather, you know, bought it when it was just like a cricket club and bought all the land, you know, in Singapore. And then built Singapore, so they're that rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he's educated in Oxford. He moves over to the United States. He doesn't really want that lifestyle and, and doesn't want to be known as that. So he never tells this girl he's dating. Now, this girl he's dating is Chinese, and she's an immigrant to America. Her, her mother fled China um from a bad situation comes over to the united states works two jobs i mean is the idyllic american immigrant and works hard and now her daughter is is teaching game theory at like columbia university okay mm-hmm. so um so now 
what happens is they go over to Asia. Mom and the family do not want an American Chinese. She's not Chinese. She's American. Okay. Oh, so bigotry and racism? Okay. All That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've got to stop America and redistribution of wealth. And, and uh, oh, my gosh, our conspicuous consumption is horrible. Don't worry about us, gang. Don't worry about us. Uh, capitalism is alive and well in other parts of the world. And the conspicuous consumption, it makes us look tame. It makes us look tame. Uh, and what are you going to do? So we go communists and what happens to them? I mean, it's yeah. I mean, we actually are starting to head into a place where you probably need to redistribute some of that wealth over to the United States. Well, yeah, uh, that's interesting because there is a there are certain cultures in which it's OK to to, uh, you know, aspire to being incredibly wealthy right and it's not it's not you don't our politicians all come up in front of you and say we all aspire to be middle class and it's like well there's nothing wrong with being middle class it's it's great life in america it's one of the greatest it's certainly the greatest middle class life in human history in the united states but still that's not necessarily what you aspire to right you aspire to you know to do even better if you can make life easier if you can it doesn't it's not a downplay against the middle class, but but you you look at you know watch wait until Joe Biden starts this campaign. Middle class Joe, as everyone has called him since he was born, middle class Joe. Now there's no record of anyone calling him that other than himself. <laughs> right. However, that is what he's going to hit constantly. Sure. And it's going to be this situation where he is going to tell everyone. I don't want to aspire to a middle class guy who got rich by going to Congress. Yeah. Terrible. I mean, that's a terrible example. I I, I you know. Uh, I, look, I've been rich. I've been poor. I've been happy both times. I've been happy both times and sad both times and sad and, both and times. periods of, of sadness. Yeah. as well. I right? mean, it's just it's like it, it's it's that's that's an illusion. All of that is an illusion. Yes, it makes your life easier. Make some of the tension at home kind of uh, go down, which is really nice. But that's the only real benefit out of it. Well, that and private air travel. Those well, that, are the only <laughs> that's those crazy, are the rich. only real <laughs> advantages to being rich I, I i tweeted last night and people were like oh my gosh glenn you're gonna get pulled off the air for saying that this is crazy i am not going to apologize for my privilege because i don't have privilege what do you mean privilege my my ancestors came here with nothing for over a hundred years they've had nothing i'm the first successful one in the family my great 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 grandfather was killed in Andersonville, the concentration camp, the notorious concentration camp of the Confederacy. He was fighting for the Union. My great, 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 great uncle was also put in. I mean, they were losers. <laughs> they just I mean, they they were in. the. They joined the army and they fought for about four weeks and they were thrown into a POW camp. Uh, my gr- my great, great, great grandfather died. And his brother never recovered from Andersonville. Well, they were fighting to stop slavery. Yeah, I know, I know you're joking by saying they're losers. That's an incredible story. No, it's an, an incredible, incredible story. Brave, I mean, no, I know. I know. I mean, I know you're I mean, it's just like, your, your, no, your it's just like, history, you know, but. yeah, it's just like, you know, it would, it would be a back that would like, I'm going to sign up next day. You're in a camp. <laughs> <Right>. Okay. <laughs> wow. We made a difference. So, <laughs> so, you know, no, nobody in my family, but every single member of my family has fought 
for a better life for their children. Now, why would I apologize for my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather all working so their children could have a better life? That better life that they worked for is my so-called privilege. It's an insult to apologize for what my ancestors did so I could have the opportunity. Are you going to apologize for doing what you're doing so your children will have a better opportunity? Yeah, how would that feel to you? Your, oh my your gosh. kids later on in life were like, I'm so sorry for so my, sorry. my, my, my what dad. My, my dad did. Oh, my like, dad. You're you know. killing yourself to do that for your, your son or your daughter. Right. And they're going to apologize for what you did later on? No. That would, that would be... Dis- no, they can be- apologize for my mistakes. Sure. They can absolutely be ashamed of me for my mistakes. But for working hard so their life was better, so they had opportunities that I didn't have, don't you dare apologize. It is an insult to your ancestors. And I got that by watching a movie about crazy rich Asians. (laughs) While that wasn't anywhere in the movie, that's what I took home. All right, public Wi-Fi at airports, riskier than you think. I mean, who thinks that airports are not risky? I mean, I, you, I walk into a, like a, a spacesuit. Don't touch anything, kids. Um, risky because of, of um, hackers going into the networks looking for public Wi-Fis. If you're on a, a hacker's network, transferring data to or from a financial institution, go right straight to a hacker's device. If you uh, use public Wi-Fi, make sure your security software is up to date. There's so many threats right now that um, can change everything and just destroy your life if you aren't protected. The new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds now the power of Norton Security to protect you against the threats to your identity and to your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. And if you do have a problem, and believe me, you will, the agents work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But the new LifeLock, now with Norton Security, can see the threats that you might otherwise miss. So call LifeLock at 1-800-LIFELOCK or LifeLock.com. Use the promo code BECK. Get an extra 10% off of your first year, plus a $25 Amazon gift card with the annual enrollment. It's promo code BECK, 1-800-LIFELOCK, 1-800-LIFELOCK. Or lifelock.com. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello and welcome to the program. Glad you're here. Uh, you know, we, we've got a one of the best tributes I heard all weekend, you know, to Aretha Franklin. Had to come from Al Sharpton. Uh, <laughs> he is just... Uh, do we have that audio by any chance, Sarah? It's Al Sharpton and his uh, memorial message. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about female canines. You know what they say about payback? It's a real, well, you, I'm sure you know the uh, word I'm thinking uh, of. So in the words uh, of my late friend Aretha Franklin, show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. <laughs> the some respect. Time, you get a black woman and a beagle confused. Remember this. I got you. Whoa. <laughs> that is the single worst delivery of a line, first of all, at the beginning of that, where he tries to, uh, yeah. you know, fake you out that he's going to say the B word. And then R E S P I C T. And how do you Respect. not? Respect. 
have a little respect. <laughs> what is respect? It's not a thing. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Al Sharpton, he's got you covered. If you are suffering from respect, he's got you covered. <laughs> this is the Glenn Beck Program. Addicted to outrage. Yes, we have another addiction to outrage segment for you. It's There's nothing better than this, uh, really. Uh you know, just getting up in the morning and just saying, you know, what can I be pissed off about? I, I had a good weekend, you know, enjoyed my family and yada, yada. Now I got to get back into I got to get into back into what really matters. And let's talk some politics. And what can I possibly be outraged? I've got I've got something that's going to really push you over the top. It's Alcee Hastings. He is in Florida. He's giving a speech and violence breaks out. Here it is. He said, do you know the difference between a crisis and a catastrophe? And no one held their hand, so Ari answered for us. He says, a crisis is if Donald Trump falls into the Potomac uh, River and can't swim. And he says, and a catastrophe is anybody saves his <laughs> That's violent speech. That was a death threat to the president. Um. I mean, I could do everything that the press does to the to the right. We know that there's a double standard, right? But if you want to fix, if you want to fix today, if you if you really want to be outraged, because we are addicted to outrage, hit the jingle. Addicted Thank to you. outrage. If you really, <laughs> you really want to uh, to further your addiction, let's be pissed off about that. And we can be so easily and justifiably, justifiably, because you're right. The standard that would be held against a conservative making a joke about a Democratic president. Uh, and we've seen we saw it happen during the Obama administration oh over gosh. and over again. They acted as if they were legitimate, real threats. Oh, yeah. They acted as if they I'm going to target a, a district. House. Yeah, I'm going to target a district. Yeah. Everybody knew what that was. Everybody knew. Right. They faked they they faked outrage mm-hmm. and tried to make it into something that it wasn't. So now we have a choice. And one is satisfying. It really is. One is satisfying. One is because it, it sets off all the good chemicals in your body <laughs> is um, uh, being outraged by it. I'm angry because look at look at the double standard. Look at the double standard. They would never do that uh, to give us the benefit of the doubt. Why should I give them? Because if I, I've been giving them the benefit of the doubt, I haven't changed my behavior. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So I'm going to get angry about it and I'm going to I'm going to be outraged and I'm going to express my outrage. And that feels good. It does. Doesn't it? Oh, it feels fantastic. Yeah, it does. You get you get your, your motor running, your juices flowing. Yep. You know, you feel like you're doing something. Uh, maybe, maybe even you can get to get to a point where this particular representative would be punished in some way. Maybe he loses his job. There's a there's a real goal to get to is maybe he loses his job and they replace him with another Democrat. Still, they they, I mean, they've been doing this to us for years. We're just starting to make progress on this. Uh, we're yeah, just I mean, starting again, to get people. We're just starting to get people. You know, the, the being held responsible and they're getting kicked out. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's if that's your goal, right? Then then you have something there. It's interesting because it, I think we have become as conservatives experts in pointing out the double standard to the point where you used to stop us from saying it on the air. You know, like when Pat was here, we would talk about this. We'd be like, this is a complete double standard. And you'd say, all right, we know it's double standard. All right, let's move on. 
And it's true. We are experts at identifying that. But there is an additional step. Now no, you have no, two standards. No. Well, hold on. Listen. No, there's not. You've got a double standard. Yeah, that's it. Now you have two standards in front of you. Double, right? Two standards. Now you have to choose which one the you want. The outrage one. The outrage one. Well, you the can one choose that, makes that feel good. one. Well, I want the outrage one. Does it make you feel good in anything other than the very short term? Nope. I guess is my question. Nope. It doesn't seem to make anyone feel good. Nope. Everyone's applying the standard all the time, and they get more and more pissed off all the time. And everybody says, I can't read it anymore. I can't look at it anymore. Yeah. And, and what as we, soon and as then, you have the opportunity to apply it, you, you go do. for it. And I think that that's the wrong way to go. I mean, look, choose the standard that you think the world should have. You know, I, you, you, you're right. Like, sometimes you're living in a world where you don't get what you want. But are you acting in the way that you believe is the right way? Or are you acting in a way that you believe is improper? And I think constantly, because we feel, and correctly feel, by the way, that we've been victims of a double standard over a very long period of time, Mm -hmm. we justify behavior we wouldn't normally justify. Because we feel like, well, we've been wrong, so therefore we can do wrong. And that's not a good way of going through life. So where is this... Where is this... Where is this anger coming from? Where is this willingness to become that which we gaze upon? Become that which we despise? Become the monster in trying to kill the monster? Where does that come from? What is the root of that motivation? Do you think you know? I I have a theory. I'd love to hear it. Um, We all feel judged. We all are insecure, and we all feel judged. Somebody is judging me, and they're judging me harshly. They're judging me um, improperly and unfairly. And the the left and the right, I think, feel this way. Um, you know, the, the guy from uh, Queer Eye, um, what was his name? Jonathan Van Ness. He came out and he said, hey, we've got to stop saying that everybody who voted for Donald Trump was a racist. They're not just like, as he says, everyone on the left isn't evil. He's right. He's absolutely right. But that's what everybody's feeling. We're being shoved into these corners and we're being told we're enemies. One side is evil. One side is racist. And people on both sides feel like they're judged. Even when we get together, we still feel judged because somebody is trying to change your mind. We're not we're not comfortable anymore just being friends. How many friends do you have that really disagree with you politically? Have you lost any friends or family? Ask yourself why. Is it because you tried to change their mind or they tried to change your mind? And so you're arguing about it, and you have no place to go. And that's become your relationship. You're judging them. They're judging you. You're right. They're wrong. They're right. You're wrong. And so there's absolutely no place to go except away from each other or to gather for, ba- for battle. I was singing this weekend the serenity prayer is what we really need a healthy healthy dose of you know the, uh, the addicted to outrage i've said this for years 
that I think this audience would be the audience that can turn this around, save the nation in the end. And when America decides to do a 12-step program, when they decide to admit that they have a problem, not that others have a problem, that we have a problem, we'll be taking our first step towards recovery and being the people that we are. The serenity prayer, um, every alcoholic knows it. God, give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. What can't be changed? What can't be changed? I can't change other people. I can't change them. I can, however, allow them to change me. I don't want that. I saw a story um, this weekend where they were trying once again, trying to change history, trying to take more statues down. You can't change history. History is there. Let it change you. Learn from it. Learn the good things from history and learn from the bad things in history so you don't do it again. But I can't force you to change. I can't force you to learn from history. You have to. How many times have you heard of a friend or a loved one who's an alcoholic and has been in rehab 10 times? They just can't, they just can't change. Well, because they don't want to. You have to hit a place to where you want to change. And that's really hard. It's really hard. Because it, it requires you to just focus on you and nothing else. And while we are egomaniacs, we're self-loathing egomaniacs. So nobody really wants to do... Look, if you really start to look into yourself and you really start to say, maybe I, maybe I have a problem here. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm causing some of my own stress and you know I don't need to be outraged by all of this because I'm not going to change that person who I love, like, was friends with, I'm co-workers with. I'm not going to change them. They believe what they believe. Instead, I'm just going to love them. It's really hard. I'm just going to love them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be the opposite that they are. Not to change them. Not to change them. Just to stand guard against them changing you. If they agreed with you, if they had your same political stance, if they were kind to you, would you be kind back? So they're not kind to you. They do bad things to you. So what's changed? You. You've allowed them to change you. Give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, the courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to know one from another. That's how we receive serenity. I can change these things, and the biggest thing I can change is me. So I can change these things. I cannot change people. Number one problem. I cannot change people. Anybody who thinks that you're going to change Twitter. Well, we're going to change Alex Jones. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not unless he wants to. 
You're going to change Donald Trump? You're not going to change Donald Trump. What are you doing? The press thinks they're going to change him? You're not going to change him. You're not going to get him to admit anything. You're not going to get him to change his ways or see the light or anything else. If he decides, you know, I don't like my life right now. And I think he loves his life. I don't, I don't like my life right now. I've got to change. Then he'll change. But the press and really 90% of this country has allowed one man to change them fundamentally. Think of that. One man has changed people's positions their viewpoint not on a base not based on facts or an argument just because of the fight one man has changed probably 90 percent of the american people fundamentally at the core they've changed i don't think that's something to be proud of you can't change people but people can certainly change you if you allow them to. I don't know if you've uh, seen the um, all of the just outrageous predictions now about uh, what's coming in the economy. I don't know what's coming. I know eventually the chickens come home to roost. Did you see the George Will column this weekend? No. He was talking about how this is just unsustainable and how our debt is getting out of control. And we've had now this, I think Wednesday marks the longest bull market yes. in history. History. Uh, which is. Because you see what China did to you, what this weekend? They started bailing out. They got involved. They started doing the same things we're doing. And all of a sudden, it's a bull run again up in in the Chinese market. I mean, it's just it's it's ridiculous. It's not real. It's not real. And eventually, it comes down. And um, the higher we go, the more. I mean, Kondrakiev was right. The guy who said, you know, it's, it's a wave, and we need we need spring and summer, but we also need fall and winter. We need things to kind of go and die out to refresh. That's right. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about food storage because you don't know. It's, it could be a wildfire. It could be a power outage. could be a, an attack by the Russians hacking us. I mean, God only knows. <laughs> Would you be surprised if aliens came down? If all of a sudden a giant space, spaceship, think of this. I asked you earlier, have you changed? Do you believe in anything that you used to 20 years ago? Think of your reaction 20 years ago if a spaceship would all of a sudden appear over Manhattan and cast a shadow over all of it, okay? You'd be like, what the? Today, I think that could happen. You'd be like, huh, huh. I wonder what Trump's tweeting about. Anyway. Right, because constant uh, unbelievable surprise is yes. actually boring. Exactly. Like fast exactly and right. furious. So don't get bored by it. Just make sure <laughs> make sure that you're prepared. My Patriot Supply. Go to My Patriot Supply right now. They sell all kinds of stuff. So no matter what comes your way, you're prepared at MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. 
I have to tell you, I, I don't, um, you know, not being a Catholic, I would like to talk to some Catholics about this, but uh, this this scandal in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, this is awful. The new Catholic Church scandal, the way they were they were grooming these kids. Really ugly. Um, passing horrible. them around with one another. I mean, this is horrible. And there was a feeling, I think, to some level that it, this stuff had was kind of past us. I mean, I, and I guess that's, I mean, I don't think anybody, older I don't think anybody really thought that the institution really yeah. took care of it. They just kind of tried to take care of it and kind of pushed it off to the side or in the back burner. I think we hoped that they were taking care of it in private, but they didn't. I mean, this is where the Pope actually went when he came to America. He needs to step to the plate more than he already is. You know, you know, ICE is totally evil, right? I mean, we all know that. I mean, you, know, you know, they're what are they doing? They're persecuting people, persecuting here people who are just trying to get here and have a better life for their family. They're good, law-abiding citizens. Every single one of them, not one of them, is bad. And let me tell you a story, okay? If you don't know, ICE is evil. Well, I read some stories this weekend. <laughs> that'll re- that'll sure look i'm re-examining my vote in november uh because i saw this story everywhere they don't care about human beings in fact if i may tell you one story <sighs> happened this weekend an evil ice agent chased down an illegal immigrant couple and he cornered them at a california gas station and then arrested the ho- the poor husband and his wife is like no i've got to go to the hospital now, they, they were cornered there in the gas station. They stopped to get gas and, I, I don't know, some M&Ms or something, whatever. Uh, and, uh, and, and they're on their way to the hospital. She's pregnant. And the nerve of this cop to just go and say, hey, what are you doing? Are you a Mexican? I mean, because Americans don't buy M&Ms in gas. So I got to take you to jail. And she had to drive herself to the hospital. Isn't that an awful story? Just an awful, awful. The pregnant wife. She's having labor pains. She's driving herself to the hospital. Man, evil. Washington Post, ICE, uh, the, the Washington Post headline, ICE arrests a man driving his pregnant wife to give birth. She drove herself to the hospital. That's the headline. And that's the story, right? Newsweek, ICE agents, part of Trump crackdown, detain husband driving pregnant wife to deliver baby. Oh, this is Newsweek. Newsweek, we want to thank you for associating President Trump with this cruelty because he's really responsible for this. Sacramento B, they were just on their way to the hospital to have a baby when ICE took him away. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it kind of, I mean, that one kind of almost sounds like. You know, they might have taken the baby, too. I'm not sure. Okay, so here's the real story. Um, This guy was wanted, um, you know, for murder. Uh, He was evading police. He came here because he was wanted for murder. Not in America. He was wanted by the Mexican authorities uh, for murder down in Mexico. And... uh, so he wasn't a good guy that was just crossing the border, you know, with just in a just a, just love in his heart, just love in his heart. Just, you know, he was practically dressed as the Statue of Liberty. 
Uncle Sam. He was wearing his Uncle Sam hat. He just loves America so much, just wants to be a good guy and provide for his new baby and his wife. No, he was actually a murderer. And ICE was doing the job of the Mexican police who had requested, uh, hey, can you be on the lookout for this guy? If so, send him back to us. So we did. I'm just, I'm, I, does anybody else not get angry over these things? Just, just wonder, I, I, is, the, is the press ever going to wake up to their hypocrisy? Are they ever going to go, oh, this is why half of America hates our gods. It's Monday, August 20th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Giancarlo Sopo is a uh, he's a public affairs uh, director uh, on Latin America, and uh, he's a Democrat. And he was on with us last uh, last week, I think, or two weeks ago. And I, I had him on because he's taking a very strong stand against democratic socialism. And we don't necessarily agree on on policies. He's a Democrat. But he is trying to alert America and especially the Democrats um, how bad democratic socialists are, what it really means. It's it's not, you know, some Norwegian, oh, I have some Ludovic and uh, maybe some free health care and everything will be great. It's not that. This is not the Swedish or Danish health care system or system. They don't have that. He reached out. We had him on last time because he had reached out to uh, uh, some uh, people over, I, I think, in Denmark some economists and said, hey, I just want you to see what the Democratic Socialists are are saying here and want here. Is this what you have? Eleven out of twelve said, uh, no, uh-uh, that's really radical. And he's warning about the danger and he's taking a beating from the left and he's taking a beating from uh, from many Democrats as well. Giancarlo Sopo is uh, with us now. Is it is it I want to make sure I get this right. Is it Giancarlo or is it uh, Giancarlo. Either one works. It's like the same name as the baseball player. He knows nothing about Giancarlo Stanton. No, uh, no idea. Is, he has so. absolutely no right, idea. So Giancarlo. Okay. So um, there was a new there was a new um, uh, Gallup poll out, and it shows that uh, Democrats now have a more positive view of socialism than capitalism and yeah what does that say to you i you know what it says to me is that i think most people have no earthly idea what socialism is because that same poll also showed that 92 percent of americans support small businesses uh 86 percent have a positive view of entrepreneurs and 79 percent of americans said that they support the free enterprise system so what that means to me is that most Americans, when you ask them about socialism, they are, like you said earlier, they have some fairy tale like concoction in their mind of, of Scandinavia. Uh, but when in reality, that's not what socialism is. That's not what the democratic socialists of America are proposing. And I believe that this level of disinformation is dangerous to the American people because I, I strongly believe 
that there is a significant uh, constituency. I think, let me just be clear, I think the vast majority of Democrats, if you just speak them on a right a level, they just want better access to health care and things like that. But I, there is a small but growing uh, minority that wants to go much farther than what they have in, say, Denmark. Uh, they would like to actually socialize the economy. They want to abolish uh, private ownership of enterprise. I think that's dangerous, and it's, it's, it looks absolutely nothing like the kind of system that they have in Scandinavia. I checked with a, a dozen Norwegian economists, 11 of which said, no, these, are, these views are fringe, including by our standards. I mean, um, um, the Scandinavian countries, uh, in some cases, are more free than we are at this point. I mean, the, the yeah. capitalist system, they just take more in taxes and then uh, give more out. But the, the actual business is not, not regulated like it is here. Yeah, it's probably easier to start a business in Copenhagen than in California now. Um, That's you know, crazy. There are, yeah, I mean, I mean, those countries are incredibly free, even by conservative estimates and con- conservative rankings and libertarian rankings. Uh, countries like Denmark performing incredibly well, according to the World Bank. Uh, you know, Denmark and Norway and Sweden are some of the freest economies in the world and easiest places to start a business. Uh, some of them even outrank the United States, and not only those countries, but also we're talking about Canada and the UK as well. So I think there is a, a, a very tremendous misconception in the United States as to what democratic socialism is and what it is not. Uh, there's, the words might be phonetically similar, but social democracy and democratic socialism are not the same thing. They're like distant cousins that at one point were uh, much closer aligned, but, I, but after World War II, they started... Uh, moving in different directions, uh, particularly at the height of the Cold War, where the Social Democrats said, this is not what we want, and we want to move in a different direction. So do you see Do you see anybody? I mean, I, I follow you uh, now on uh, Twitter, and I see the beating, you. you're, I see the beating that you're taking. Um, and, you know, I understand that. I mean, you're taking on your own, you're t- taking on your own party. Do, do you see anybody really standing up? I mean, look at Cuomo last week. He was only doing that because he's in the race for his life, and he had to come yeah. out and say, hey, I'm, I'm socialist too. Do you see anybody yeah, standing I mean, against the Democratic Socialists in the Democratic Party really taking a principled American constitutional stand? I think what most Democrats who I, whom I speak with and whom I, I, I've, I've you know, I pay attention to, I, they kind of, they're like we- trying to weather out the storm. Uh, and then you have a, a small group that I believe is trying to utilize this momentum as an opportunity to increase their power. And I think that's dangerous. So I, I, I remember, well, I, I didn't see it personally, obviously, but President Kennedy's inaugural address where he warns developing countries around the world uh, not to ride the back of the tiger or, or else they're going to end up inside. And I believe that if we continue fueling this rise of democratic socialism, the Democratic Party is going to go from being what's uh, you know, historically been a, a center-left party with maybe a socialist uh, wing to being a socialist party with, then, with a centrist wing. I, I believe that's dangerous for the country, and it's moving in the, in, that so you don't, in the wrong direction. You don't think that that's um, already happened? I mean, uh, you know, watching, I, I think the... I think the last 12 years have been uh, pretty remarkable on how far left uh, the Democrats have moved. 
Yeah, I think on some issues, uh, I, I believe, for example, this rise of uh, intersectional intersectional identity politics, I think, is dangerous. I believe in uh, the, that this knee-jerk reaction to thinking that uh, the first problem, the first solution to any problem, is to say, "Well, let's get the federal government involved." I think that's that's not that's not a wise decision. Um, so I think in some regards, yes. But in some regards, in, in other ways, I think uh, uh, more like on social policies. Uh, you know, and on, on some economic policies, they've moved more to the left. On others, they've kind of stayed where they've been historically. What I'm worried about is the silence. And I think more people need to speak up about this. I, I believe it's important. Uh, there is, like I said, I think there's a massive disinformation campaign underway. Uh, and I, there are members of the press who are complicit in this, who are, who are issuing uh, mm-hmm. these uh, phony explanations of what democratic socialism, socialism is. Of course, they always leave out the part about nationalizing businesses Mm -hmm. and turning small companies into co-ops. I mean, Glenn, imagine if you had to turn your business into a co-op. You you wouldn't survive. It's not how most businesses should be designed or or can function that way. So I think most more people need to speak up about this. And I'm, I I welcome the beating. I I think it's, it's, it's entertaining sometimes. Uh, It's, but Mm -hmm. it's nothing compared to what people in places like Venezuela are, are going through on a daily basis who have to live under this system, which is it's absolutely terrible. And, you know, it's funny, I was, I was this weekend, I went to Disney with my wife. Uh, according, you know, what, what's, what's bizarre is that, you know, she comes from a socialist country. She goes to a place like Disney and she's in heaven. She thinks it's, it's amazing. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Walt Disney, too, and mm-hmm. I saw your, your PragerU video. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, you take a democratic socialist to, to Disney, their first reaction is to start hurling accusations of racism and inequality and so forth. I mean, I I don't understand in in, in what version of the universe these people live in, uh, but it's, you cannot give them an inch. That's what I'm absolutely convinced of. And I believe it's shameful that the, the party of Kennedy, the party of Truman, I mean, how did, how did we go from being the party of Jack Kennedy and Frank Sinatra to being the party of Bernie Sanders and some guy now who's who's going out there saying that America has never been a great country. I think that's absolutely shameful. Well, uh, Uh, you know what? Uh, Let's continue this. Let me take a quick break and then let's continue this conversation because I think it's uh, I mean, I can tell you how they got there. Um, uh, But I I I I I want to look at a. I I just want to I want to delve a little deeper with you. Hang on just a second. Sure. I don't want to foreshadow our conversation here. Um, our sponsor this half hour is American Financing, and and I can't thank them enough for being sponsors. You know, they they came to me in 2007, and they wanted to sponsor the show, and I said, nope, 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 nope. Why? Because they don't do mortgage companies, because mortgage companies have gone insane, and they're like, no, 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 we're a family-owned a company and we we haven't gone insane we don't do business like that you're right about the collapse of the housing market you're right but our people aren't going to go through that because we didn't do any of that and i'm like yeah well you're all alike and i was wrong and um i called them back about six or eight months after the collapse and said how you doing they said we told you fine they work for you they don't work for the bank and they won't do stupid stuff because it hurts them. They have all the underwriters in-house. So everything, they don't work for the bank. They work for themselves and for you. And, and no one is on commission 
trying to upsell you anything. That was the problem with the banking crisis. And we're going through it again. If you want a uh, if you want a loan and you want the right loan for you, they have an A plus rating from the BBB. That is unusual for a mortgage company. Uh, Try them. Call them. AmericanFinancing.net. They're going to get you fast pre-approval so you know how much you can spend, and then they'll close faster than anybody else in like 10 days. It's AmericanFinancing.net. Call them now, 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440, AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck. Giancarlo Sopo, um, he is a guy who knows what socialism and totalitarianism is uh, and is a Democrat and standing against democratic socialism um, and, you know, wondering how we got here from from the time of John F. Kennedy. And I think I know the answer. But let me go through a couple of names here. Giancarlo, I'd like to get your call on this because, you know, the Progressive Caucus is sort of the thing that I... I've, you notice this is the real separation line, um, and you go through, yeah. and you have you you have the uh, you know Ted Lieu and Barbara Lee and Maxine Waters and you know Keith Ellison and Elijah Cummings and a lot of these big names that people recognize. And there's always been yeah. you know on the on Republican side, there's really conservatives that would fall into a group. However, when you look at the Progressive Caucus, it is forty percent of elected Democrats in the House. It's not like a yep. few people. It, there's 77 people in the Progressive Caucus. You look at the right. Freedom Caucus. What were there? 20? Yeah, 10, 20 maybe. Yeah. And again, you know, this, so there's a big split there. Is Am I recognizing the split correctly there with the Pro- Progressive Caucus? And I mean, how do we explain that it's such a large number? Well, I think they're, they're like I said before, I think there is an effort in the media to normalize far left positions in a way that is simply not 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 the case with you know positions that we would uh, typically associate with the far right so where are the investigative reports on the democratic socialists of america for instance right mm-hmm. uh, how, why is nobody asking alexandra ocasio-cortez why she's going around campaigning with an organization that defends the venezuelan government so nobody's asking these kinds of hard questions because uh, there is a tendency to believe, uh, and I think this has been inculcated uh, through the education system, in many ways it's not even taught, that uh, somehow the tyranny that people lived in under uh, the Soviet Union uh, was in some ways part of a well-intentioned but botched uh, economic system. That's just not true. It was, a, it was an evil system that ruined the lives of millions of people and killed, I think, what is it, like 100 million people? Uh, that 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 the extremism of the left is, is somehow more acceptable than what's typically associated with the extremism on the right, which would say someone like, like neo-Nazis who, by the way, are, are not on, are, are not on the right. Uh, these are these people are status. Uh, so I, I, I believe that's what's driving it. You also have though, just people are not covering this. They're not talking about it. Look, uh, last year, a friend of mine who's active in democratic politics told me that, uh, that he was on a, on a conference call, and uh, Keith Ellison said, uh, this is right after he became vice chair of the DNC, that in, under his leadership, the, the DNC is going to feel like the days of, that they were marching with Che Guevara. That is an insane comment for anyone in national politics to make. I cannot confirm that he made it, but if, if it's true that he made it, I mean, that should have been a front page story in every publication in the United States. 
but uh, these aren't. But nobody's interested in talking about this kind of stuff because they want to focus on on uh, some of the more extremist elements of, of the GOP base. And I, I think there has to be a, a greater sense of fairness. I mean, you cannot cover Antifa fundamentally different than the way that you cover the alt right. You have to cover them equally because they're both ex- extreme. I have to tell you. I would bet you 95% of my audience right now is saying, this guy's not a Democrat. There's no way you're a Democrat. Because I've never heard a Democrat say these things. <laughs> never. Never. Well, I, yeah, well, well look, here, here's what's happening, Glenn. And, and, and when I was younger in my career, I worked in politics. So okay. what's happening is that... All right, wait, 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 wait. I want to I yeah. hear this fully. Let me just take a quick break. Then you come back and uh, explain to us why we've not heard this from any Democrat or anybody in the in the news that's on the right cuz i think you're exactly right you've diagnosed the problem John Carlos Sopo uh who is a uh, democrat who is taking a beating online for speaking out against democratic socialism uh and wondering where the um you know where the the democrats are and where the people are in the media that will actually tell you the truth which is which is my question where where are these so-called democrats that see this as a problem Giancarlo well here's what i can tell you i believe that the you know the political industrial complex has grown to such a degree now that you can't call this stuff out because here's the first thing they do the moment you start calling out what you know some of the extremism they start trying to pull your contracts if you're a consultant they start calling people who do business with you and, and steering them in a different direction. Uh, they, they call their producers, their, their allies, their friendlies in the media. Look, I, I work in PR. I understand how the media works. Uh, they start calling producers and reporters and start planting hit pieces on you. And they start you know, kind of shifting the narrative in a different direction. And they tell producers uh, not to book you on TV shows to get your message out there. Uh, and then, they, the, then if you're on the radio, then they start threatening to, to, to pull your advertiser. So there's an entire machinery set up to try to control speech. And I believe that's dangerous. I think the, the growth of the political industrial complex is, is a threat to our democracy because it limits the ability of people to have sincere and honest conversations. Uh, so after I went on your show last week, I had people whom are friends of mine basically try to call me out and say, why are you going on Glenn Beck's show? And I said, I'm just speaking the truth. And, and so their argument to that was, well, it might be true what you're saying, but you shouldn't be saying it because it's not politically expedient. And I say, well, look, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a Catholic. I believe that we're here on earth to, uh, to bear witness to the truth and, and, and speak what's on our minds and just and, and think freely, right? Uh, what, what, what they're trying to do now is to clamp down on any kind of dissent. And I, I believe that's dangerous. I think most Democrats, and you know, I would say are probably against this. They just don't realize to the extent to which it's going on. So, so, so tell me a, tell me a, f- a fellow traveler. Tell me somebody who is traveling this road because I see, I see no one in the media that is willing to do this. Last week we played some audio of a group of, um, you know, journalists sitting around a table saying, quote, we need a different word for socialism because socialism has a bad name. Well, it has a bad name for a reason. And so they were they were all talking about how it's unfair to call this socialism. Well, only because you want it to get passed. I don't see anybody in the media willing to take on Antifa. I don't see 
anybody willing to take on democratic socialism, willing to point out what is really happening in Venezuela and why. And I don't see anybody in Washington either. Yeah, it's 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 pretty disturbing. I will say, I think the guys over at Fox uh, published a good article. Uh, you had the, the economist who wrote it on your show last week, I believe. Uh, so I, I credit them for doing that, but I believe that that's that's one drop in the bucket. You yeah, know, that's Fox. Your your friends won't. Your Democrats won't take anything from Fox. I'm saying no, where uh, the Vox. where Vox. oh Vox. Yeah, you're right. Vox. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that was, and I don't know if you noticed, Glenn, but as soon as that article came out, NBC published this, like, long story trying to debunk that article. And there's an entire machinery set up, and I, I don't think people who work outside of the media and who work outside of politics realize the level of this, of, of the, the political industrial complex and how it has its tentacles throughout the economy and how it tries to uh, m- manipulate what people watch at night, the, the, the news that people get. Uh, there, there, there are people who do this for a living, and I, I, I just don't think that people realize this. I, and, and then to answer your question in terms of, of when do I think the media is is going to speak out? I don't think they're going to speak out. Okay, think, so so will the yeah. will people in Washington speak out? Democrats. Well, I think you're starting to see. Look, so take take for instance, uh, a couple of months ago, Hillary Clinton said something like, "Hey, look, uh, had I, I, I think you know." I, the, the fact that I was that I'm a capitalist probably cost me a lot of votes in the primary. Mm-hmm. That was an incredibly revelatory, revealing uh, comment that she made. Uh, this stuff needs to be called out for what it is. I believe it's a scam. I and but I I'd also believe that Democrats are now people who are sensible minded. Say someone like Tim Kaine and and, and other senators who are sensible minded uh, folks that you could just sit down and have a conversation with. They're probably afraid to call this stuff out out of fear that they're going to be primaried uh, because what what Sanders and, and, and the rest of them are, are, are mounting is a, is a machine to go after uh, sensible Democrats within their own party. They're trying to cannibalize their party to, to turn it into a socialist party. And I, I believe that's wrong. They're, they're trying to move the Overton window to a place on the left that's not where Scandinavia is. It's like where it's like where like where Havana is. Right. So uh, they're, they're trying to sh- shift this in the wrong direction. I um, I spoke about a year ago. Um, I had lunch with somebody who uh, actually has his name on one of the big Democratic buildings. I mean, he's given so much money. And he told me, I, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do. I can. I've been a Democrat my whole life. I will not give them another dime. You have Keith Ellison and these radicals that are in power now. He said, that's that's not Democrat. That is that is socialist uh, mentality and it is out of control. Um, So you 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 have people who are walking away. At at what point do you say, you know, I mean, is there a point that you say, I just got to give up on the on the party? Because, I mean, that's where I'm at with Republicans. We tried to change it and bring them back to the Constitution and common sense and commons, you know, common sense spending and, and everything else. They didn't want to do it. They kicked and screamed. They used a lot of people. Um, and that kind of, you know, went by the wayside. So at what point do you say, you know, there's nobody there's nobody supporting this direction? Yeah, and, and that's a tricky question. Uh, I think we, we, you know, in the absence of, of the collapse of like, you know, religious institutions, people have lost meaning in life. 
and now uh, you know the new religion is politics and we wear our political labels on our sleeves as though right. it should say, you know it says everything about us so um on a personal level what i have what i've said and what i'm prepared to say is that uh you know a couple of weeks ago tom perez said that uh democratic socialism is the future of the party uh or rather uh, alexander ocasio cortez the future of the party and this was followed up by several other people who went on Meet the Press who, who basically said that Democrats, look, you, you, ha- you either have to get used to this or you leave because this is the future of the party. And wh- what I'm prepared to say is that if democratic socialism is the future of the Democratic Party, then I am going to become a part of its past. I uh, would probably just become an independent. Uh, there's a lot you know, going on right now with the Republicans that I have a hard time dealing with as well. Yeah, but I, me too. I think most, yeah, I mean... I think most people are fed up with this. The political industrial complex mm-hmm. is dangerous to our economy. Uh, mm-hmm. you, I'm sure you've, you've seen this yourself, uh, the, the level to which things are being controlled behind mm-hmm. the scenes. I don't think most people realize. And I think this stuff, quite frankly, needs to be exposed, right? Because uh, we shouldn't be living in a country where if you go out and you say certain things, uh, people start you know, calling up the people you do business with and start threatening you. Uh, that's that's not conducive to free speech in a in a pluralistic democracy, which is what we should be aspiring to be. Tell me why you feel so passionately, personally, about democratic socialism. Well, so it it, it all goes back to my wife's experience in Cuba, my family's experience, and what I see, uh, you know, with my neighbors who are from Argentina and Venezuela and the the people who've actually lived through it, and and that I have also personally experienced because I've. Um, you know, when I met my wife in Havana, and so the first few months that we were dating and we were just trying to get her affairs in order, I, I would go down there to visit her. Uh, this system is, is, is a disaster. It just doesn't work. Uh, I was actually in Havana down in, uh, in, in, in March to visit my family. I saw a family that lives there. Glenn, we had to wait an hour in line at a local store just to buy a fan. My fan broke in the middle of the night, so we had to wait an hour just to buy a fan, 40 minutes of which was spent registering the fan with, with the government of Cuba. Oh, my gosh. Because it was, it was the acquisition of private property. So, Oh, my just, gosh. Yeah, just, just think about if you repeat that scenario uh, multiple times throughout a day, imagine how many thousands of hours people are wasting their lives on just dealing with unnecessary just crap. Well, I think, uh, we're, do- I think we're doing that now. Think of the last 20 years. And the crap we have wasted, the time that is forever gone, arguing politics. Why? Yeah. They should, yeah, yeah. should not have this much power. You know, for, you know during the Obama years, the, le- the right was terrified that Obama was going to take us to some totalitarian state. Now, the left is so afraid that uh, Donald Trump can take us to some totalitarian state. Well, I got news for you. That's an alarm bell. That should tell every American we have to reduce the power of the federal government because no president should ever be able to make us feel this way in this country. I agree. And what's crazy is that the same people who are arguing that Donald Trump is an authoritarian, then turn around and say, well, we need to give the, the, the federal government, not just the federal government, but the executive branch, more power over our economy. I'm just like... And the guns. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's like, like really? We, we, so you want... You are, not, you are not a Democrat, man. You're not... You're my grandfather. You're my grandfather. My grandfather was a Democrat, and this is the kind of talk that my grandfather would say. And I remember, I remember my parents going, 
you know, uh, Dad, that's that's uh, that's that's not the Democratic Party anymore. And I think it was probably at the time, uh, but it's it's certainly not now. Is there a yeah. is there a movement gathering behind you at all, other than one with torches and pitchforks to come to get you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I, I've had uh, I've since so since my article in Quillette came out, I've had so many people write me, but it's like they do it in secret. They're like. Hey, like, hey, I'm with you, you know, like, sh- but sh- I can't really say it. Uh, I, I, I had in the same way, I have friends, uh, a couple of buddies who are young guys who and, and, and ladies who work on Capitol Hill who wrote to me saying, I'm so glad that you wrote this. I'm so glad that finally somebody had the, you know, the courage to say it. Um, so I do think that there is a movement in this country. There's a silent majority that just flat out rejects this crap and thinks it's insane. Uh, I mean, who looks at the, the, you know, how did, like, like I said, how did we go from being the party of Kennedy and going to the moon to just being the people who are professionally offended all the time? It's just that most people do not want this direction for the party or for the country. And I think you're going to start seeing some change, you know, hopefully in, in the near future. And if not, we're going to have to reevaluate our, you know, where we stand in a few months. Cause I, I think this is dangerous and, you know, my team has got to do a better job. Uh, that's not, that's not, this isn't, this is not what I signed up for. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, as someone, and I'm telling you, like as, as someone who's married to, uh, an, an, an immigrant who was raised in a socialist country and we actually do a lot of traveling around the country. We, you know, uh, we drive to places. We just, we really love taking those country mm-hmm. roads. Uh, seeing the beauty of America through the eyes of someone who was raised in a, in, in a socialist country that supposedly has free healthcare and education uh, is really eye-opening because you really realize what a special place this is, what an exceptional country mm-hmm. the United States is. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to, to be the party of, you know, that, that cherishes those kinds of values. And I think most Democrats who are actually do, I, th- I just think that there's a problem with the leadership of the party and our dependence on advocacy groups and organizations that have probably outlived the original reasons for why they were created in the first place. Uh, but they still have payrolls to keep and they have consultants mm-hmm. to pay for, you know, mm-hmm. that continues pulling the party in, in further and more extreme directions where we've become unrecognizable from where we were just a few short years ago. So John Carlo, um, uh, I salute you and I'm thrilled that you are out there and speaking and I wish you the best of luck and we'll stay in touch. Please follow him on uh, Twitter um, and get in touch. If you are a, a Democrat or you know somebody who is like, this isn't what our party should be. Um, I hope that he is right. I think that he is, that there is a lot of people, especially in flyover country, uh, that are Democrats that do not like what's happening uh, to their party. Giancarlo uh, Sopo, thank you so much. Thank you. Hope uh, hope we get to meet in person. Thank you. Got to have him. He's... They're not easy things to say for, no. for a Democrat. And something that Democrats... I think I could be wrong are hungry for because I don't think we're we're not the country of these extremes we're just not whenever we say something negative about Republicans we get a lot of criticism from Republicans publicly and a lot of praise privately yeah right and it's the same thing he's dealing with I think there are Democrats who actually are sane and want that but they're you can't be afraid to say it no that's a problem courage is contagious 
Just more people have to stand up. And as you stand up, others will stand up as well. But somebody has to start the ball rolling. All right. I want to share some uh, feedback from our partners at Palm Beach uh, Letter, Tika Tuari's crypto course. 97% of the people who have taken his crypto course, that's 97% of the listeners here on this program that have taken it, give it a four or five star rating. Some of the comments, thank you, been waiting to learn about this process, didn't know where to get the information or who to ask. Uh, I know I know more now, and I look forward to continuing to learning. The course has opened me up to a whole new world of opportunities. Never invested in stock, but I like the Bitcoin uh, concept, but I didn't understand it. That's kind of the situation that that I found myself in. It's why I, I didn't invest earlier, uh, because I heard stupid Warren Buffett say, don't invest in anything you can't explain or understand. <laughs> Uh, the new advice is explain. definitely invest in things that you can't explain or understand, right? Right. That's always right. a good move. <laughs> there's this new device. Or, I have no idea what it does, but I'm pretty sure I should invest in it. There's another option, which is actually get to learn and understand and ex- be able oh, to explain that it. a lot of work. Not really. Actually, we didn't, we didn't know where to do that. I don't think there was a place, uh, but now there's smartcryptocourse.com. We asked them to put this together for you so you could educate yourself on it. It's smartcryptocourse.com. Learn about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and also blockchain. Call 877-PBL-BECK for more information. 877-PBL-BECK or smartcryptocourse.com. Glenn Beck. We have a lot to talk about. Hats off to Bill Maher, who said something remarkable about freedom of speech this weekend that you need to hear. We're also uh, going to Venezuela next. Uh, Tell you a little bit about what's happening actually on the ground. And I... I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Pope and the crisis with the Catholic Church. A lot of people holding on that. We'll Glenn try to get to your phone calls Beck. as well. Mercury. Glenn Beck. It's Monday, August 20th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mariana Gonstead, she is, she's a woman who has all kinds of titles behind her name and, um, and is a very accomplished woman. But we'll get to that in a second. I first want you to hear her just as somebody who grew up in Venezuela and whose family is in Venezuela. She was there in uh, May of this year, and we wanted to get her on the phone to talk to us about it. Mariana, how are you? Fine. Thanks for having me, Glenn. You bet. So tell me about your trip to Venezuela. Yes. Well, I I grew up in Venezuela and... um, um, and I was there until I, I finished my law degree and I worked for the Supreme Court before um, Chavez started um, his uh, this new regime. Um, so I haven't really lived in Venezuela since that 1998 when he won elections. But I have been working with all Latin America and uh, countries. And I, um, I went in May um, because they, there was going to be a national election on May 18th. And uh, the elections were not going to be recognized. And um, my father um, was in a critical condition. Um, uh, so, but I, when I was first there in December, I have to go there because my father couldn't even find Miralax. And I have to fly there with uh, two bags like of Miralax and protein shakes. Uh, my father ended up in the hospital because of the lack of medicines, basically. Mm. So and you... Venezuela just... You, you Venezuela, go ahead. Venezuela used to be a, 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 a and it still is 
that's the most uh, the, the fascinating part about all this is that I think Venezuela is like Apple. It's a country with extraordinary resources that has not been that are still there. Um, it's just Apple with a government that um, doesn't allow the people to participate and is very unstable. But um, uh, I grew up in a country where we have. Um, Everybody, in, like, I mean, most Venezuelans used to be able to travel to Florida. And there was a saying saying, like, uh, it is so cheap. Give me two. Mm. Um, we were used to have like the, the lux- luxury brands that I have not even seen in the United States. Venezuelans were used to luxury. Like they were used to um, like uh, have the best shampoo brands in the world. And now there is not even if they there is not even like bar soaps um, or anything. And um, there was not even water. I couldn't even shower um, when I was there. You basically have to, I showered twice in, in 14 days. I lost, I ate like a, from a load of bread in um, 14 days and I ended up losing 14 pounds. People are now starving. I talked um, to um, one of my friends last night and he was in tears and basically said, if you're going to say something, make sure the audience in the United States knows that this oil-rich country is starving. Families are eating out of um, the garbage can. This is unbearable. What's, what happened? What happened? How did, how did the country go from a country very much like the United States, very, very wealthy to a country now that literally they have eaten the animals in the zoo. Yes. Um, Well, I have to tell you this. I grew up with a mother that told us that we were fish of a tank. And if she's, if, if my parents stopped feeding us, we would perish. And Whenever we we um, drove by the poor neighborhoods that used to be 80% of the population or, or, or approximately that percentage, and now it's even more, um, uh, she actually told us that they were fish of the, of the ocean and that the fish of the ocean knew how to survive if they were not fed. So I grew up with a deep admiration for the poor. They They were able to... Um, figure it out. Um, when I was at Harvard, uh, I realized that um, at the business school, they were trying to teach like creativity, like teamwork. And at the same time, I was conducting clinical projects on participation in Venezuela. And I saw how the leaders of these low income communities have developed all these skills that you have to develop when you lack resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they were not allowed to participate. They were invisible. So it is there is, it's a very volatile situation when you have the majorities, the majorities, um, even during the 40 years of democracy in Venezuela, were disenfranchised. That is not sustainable. I remember every time we were going to the university, I studied with my brother-in-law, um, and when we were going to the university, like, you have to drive through, like, a, a lot of, like, poor neighborhoods. And I said to him over and over again every morning, this only needs one leader one leader to mobilize this massive social injustice. And sure enough, in my second um, year or third year of law school, Chavez attacked the presidential palace with a tank. Nobody knew who he was, and he became a hero. And he became a hero because of the the silent majority, the ones that had been excluded and the the very poor. 
Correct. Yes. And, and, the, and the economic measures that were taken at that time with an increase uh, of, uh, of the gasoline. So is, um, so, and, is, is this something that uh, seems, to, I mean, it happens a lot in Latin America, and I, and I don't understand why, and maybe you can explain it. Um, sure. The, the, up until recently, the United States, the presidency, has not been, you know, a regal thing, and we haven't looked to a strong man who could just tell them all to sit down and shut up, and we're becoming more and more like that. That seems to be very Latin America, where they look for a hero um, just to come in and solve the problems. Is this accurate at all? Correct. Yes. Like um, I have been working for the past 20 years with other countries in the regions precisely to try to um, address this mindset that always look for like a, a, a savior, like a, 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 this called a caudillo, like a strong man. Um, that is supposed to like help them and liberate them. Like so, in the past, it was Simon Bolivar, and and um, right now, well, in, like recently, it was Chavez, and it's so much to the point that Chavez is dead, and Venezuelans still scream, "Chavez is alive." So they Chavez don't see him. Alive. They don't see him any differently than you know Sean Penn in Hollywood. They don't see him as the beginning of the problem. Yeah, no, and um, to 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 be. Um, complete honest, my main concern with Venezuela is not even what's going on right now, and not just Venezuela, the entire region, is that uh, the Chavez regime um, has called like uh, their regime a, a participatory and protagonistic uh, democracy, and is it in which like one person is the one that makes the decisions. That actually breeds corruption, abuse, and massive exclusion. It's like having a solo instrument playing um, the world have not seen like what Latin America could look like when every person is allowed to participate, including the fish of the ocean, um, so that we would move. So right now, Venezuela, Latin America has moved historically from a solo instrument uh, leader to uh, massive revolutions. So all the instruments playing at the same time, producing noise. Um, it is about time to have a very different type of leadership, a participatory leader that really like the maestro of an orchestra is able to not just play like a solo instrument, but be the conductor of the orchestra and allow every instrument to participate but so the, that we can move from, no, from noise to music. The world is not going in that direction. I mean, nobody, no. is, nobody is headed in that direction. Well, actually, um, Glenn, we did. Um, um, you are absolutely right. And that is the very reason why I became a law professor in the United States. I used to represent 11,000 students in Venezuela. So if I was there right now, I would have been killed or incarcerated. Um, and I, uh, I, I thought and I, and I, 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 I thought and I saw how participation could be done. And um, when, if you have the channels and you develop the skill to participate, and we did it, um, in Brazil. So I became a law professor to be able to prove to the world that it could be done. And in Brazil, like you can, anyone can go and Google it. Um, we actually um, uh, uh, were given an opportunity at St. Thomas to, with uh, two experts in civil procedure, they were um, going to uh, pass a law and um, they decided that they wanted to be more participatory. 
And um, we uh, selected leaders, um, well, Brazilians selected leaders from seven sectors of society, from business leaders, low-income community leaders, the legal field, the judicial sector, uh, the nonprofit sector, and um, they built consensus uh, three times, uh, first per sector and then at a national level, regarding what was the the preferred option to resolve their disputes. Um, And uh, it was very interesting because it took like uh, six months to train the mediators, and then the mediators trained the leaders, uh, and then the structures were put into place. And uh, the the main difference um, was um, how um, they were given a, a seat at the table, but they were also trained in how to participate rather than just persuade others. Basically, the, the main difference on participation was, is that the final agreement has to have the flavor of all stakeholders, and it is possible. I mean, I didn't invent this. This is uh, basic uh, uh, consensus building um, from MIT, uh, Larry Susskind, and it has been done, uh, and it's called collaborative governance. When citizens can participate at the local level, we did it at the national level just to prove it could be done. And in Brazil, that is the fifth largest country in the world. Um, so if, if, the, if the stakeholders, if the leaders um, learn the skills and the structures are created, it, well, it's called uh, building the Latin America that we want you in SSRN. And anybody can... Um, can access it. it. It's free. It's online, and they can see what we have done. Um, the mediators in Brazil are still there. They are alive, and they um, they could lead. I trained them. We work it together, and just to demonstrate that it could be done. But you need to have and uh, you need to have representative democracies, and this will supplement the representative democracy. So that that right now, as you said, Latin America look at heroes, right? Yeah. And when it look at hero, when they look at hero heroes they basically gave them like a, a, a blank check yeah you know so that they yeah. can do whatever with their mandate so, well this is like a way to supplement representative democracies with consensus building so that when they have the mandate they have like an organized civic society that would limit the political power mariana um let me take you back here to venezuela mm-hmm. you lost 14 mm-hmm. pounds you it don't you don't recognize some people that you even grew up with because they've lost so much weight? Um, do you have friends that have gone to prison for their political stance? Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't. I I, I don't live there since like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. nineteen ninety eight. But yeah. I do have. Uh, I do. I I do know like uh, many um, Venezuelan um, students right. and uh, members actually of the of the National Assembly. Like most recently, like they were like. Uh, two brothers like that were incarcerated and one of them was actually a member of Congress and was incarcerated for giving a speech that I would have given. Um, So uh, so you can basically not speak up or you are in jail. And there are like two legislative bodies right now, two Supreme Courts. There is a Supreme Court that actually is operating from um, Colombia and they, um, and no news. I mean, the, the most desperate part about all these, Glenn, is that none of this is covered in the media. You know, it's like the, there is a Venezuelan Supreme Court that is operating in, in Colombia, and they sentenced the Venezuelan government to 18 years and three months 
And we don't hear about that here. You know, that is unheard of. Wow. Um, uh, Hold on for just a second. I want to come back and I just want to ask you what we as Americans can do. Uh, You know, we're not going to change the media, but, you know, I don't want the media to change me. And and how can we we help if you have some suggestions? We'll come back with that just a second. Imagine your life. I mean, your whole country changes in 20 years. I mean, we've we've seen it. We've seen it here. Simply Safe Home Security, great home security system, fantastic protection, uh, easy to use, and uh, the great thing is, is you can you can get it right away and install it in your house. There's no wiring and there's no contracts, and you're going to save a ton of money. Simply Safe. They now protect over two million people. Comprehensive protection for your home, round-the-clock professional monitoring, police dispatch, protection against intruders, fires, leaks, and burst pipes. And it works during power outages, down Wi-Fi. Even if somebody comes in and tries to smash this thing with a hammer, it still calls the police. Incredibly intuitive. It's almost invisible, but it catches everything that you want it to catch. No contracts, no hidden fees. 27, uh, 24-7 monitoring is $14.99 a month. Simply Safe. Get it now. SimplySafe.com. That's SimplySafeBeck.com. I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, Catholic Church and take some of your phone calls here in a second. We're uh, talking to uh, Mariana Gonstead. She is uh, um, uh, somebody who is just a very accomplished uh, global leader, um, has worked with the American Bar Association, the World Trade uh, uh, Union, and, and uh, is um, has two law degrees, one in Venezuela, another one here from Harvard. Um, she's on, contact, uh, uh, on uh, conflict resolution is her, is her specialty. Um, I, I want to ask you, before I ask you how we can help, um, Mariana, why why did your friend last night say, please let America know that we used to be a rich country? Why was that important for them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, because it's like it was unthinkable for us to Im- even imagine, you know, that this could happen. Venezuela used to be the country where every every most countries uh, in Latin people from most countries in Latin America used to go. Um, kind of like we have problems with immigration, you know. And now, like it's crazy. Venezuelans are fleeing the country. Uh, the the um, U.S. ambassador to the UN was actually at the Venezuelan border. Um, recently, like just trying to call attention to the, the, the problem. So Venezuela is right now a house on fire. And uh, like people cannot eat, they cannot, there, there is nothing. So they are so, basically, they, their only goal is to escape. And, and they want Americans to know that, uh, for one thing, like we are your neighbor. Um, we cannot be ignored. Um, we can we are actually like a strategic partner for the United States. So we need Americans to raise their voice and so that that the United States have very different policies towards so, the region and and treat us as, as a partner, as a commercial partner. So like how can we, we so how can we help? How can we help the people? Um, in raise, awareness, raise, aware, raise awareness, Glenn, raise awareness. I mean, if every American starts talking about this and how uh, how 
this is like it would be cruel or un, un, unrealistic to ask Venezuela to stay there, but the, in in a, in a house on fire. But the main problem is not just Venezuela. The main problem and the reason why Americans need to know is because this is a path. This is a path where many other countries in the region are going, and that, that's basically it. it it's do you see this is as a do you s- it's imploding. Do you see this? Do you see us moving in this direction as well? Well, if you continue to be a, di- a divided country as you are right now, yes. Um, but I, my, my area is conflict resolution, and I have to say this. Um, you can achieve harmony through uniformity, making everybody the same, and that leads to a stagnation and mm-hmm. alienation. Yeah. Or you can actually allow, uh, you can actually achieve harmony through unity mm-hmm. by integrating the differences. Yes. Um, and the U.S. the U.S. used to be that the founding fathers, a team. Yeah. You know, like so. In my field, in conflict resolution, conflict is inevitable because we are unique individuals. Correct. Correct. So we need to figure our uh, differences cannot just be tolerated; they have to be embrace to build what doesn't exist yet and the u.s used to do this america 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 was never strong because we were a brick wall america was strong we were we were a wall made of stone it was our mortar of the the bill of rights and the idea of uh of freedom that used to hold us together but we're we're stones not bricks um, Ma- Mariana, thank you so much. Um, and please stay in contact with us. And if there is anything that we can uh, do, we are working on some things behind the scene that I would like to actually have one of my staff reach out and, and speak to you about. Um, but um, Glenn, we cannot Glenn, forget there, you. There, yes, Glenn, there is a massive devaluation that is taking place today. And it's, it's, uh, it's uh, connected to the Petro. So keep an eye on that. You got it. Thank you so much, Mariana Gonstead. I'm going to go take Steve in New York, uh, who's been holding for a while on the uh, topic of the uh, Catholic Church and what's happening um, with the uh, with the church and the massive scandal in Pennsylvania. Hello, Steve. Hey, good morning, Glenn. How are you? I'm good. Well, uh, I'm a lifelong Catholic, and I've seen this a long time. I've been exposed to this for a long time, and um, my heart is broken. I've despaired even further because I don't. I haven't seen them addressing one of the worst problems in the Catholic Church, and that's the specific incidence of homosexual pedophilia. This is, of course, a very politically incorrect topic to bring up. Yeah, you know? and, I was uh, going to say I, I saw a lot of people saying that there is no such thing as homosexual pedophilia. But, uh, I mean, I, I think there is. they were abusing, in some cases, small number uh, of girls were abused, but the vast majority was, was boys. Now, maybe that's just access or, you know, I don't know. I mean, you're sick either way, so it doesn't matter. But I, I, the, the problem here is, is there is some there is some real sickness in the. Uh, in the way the the priests, I don't know, are selected or live or what, the the culture is obviously very, very bad. Well, I am so glad that you mentioned that, because that's really what I want to talk about. Uh, There's an excellent book on this subject 
written by Michael Rose called Goodbye Good Men. And he is, it's a very, very knowledgeable and, and deeply researched book. And I read it years ago. He, um, he talks about how this is not just haphazard. This was a very deliberate uh, movement within, you know, among the leaders of the Catholic Church. They deliberately recruited people who are sympathetic to this 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 lifestyle. So, Steve, um, as, as a as a Catholic, I mean, I I'm not a Catholic, but uh, you know, as a former Catholic, I, I would want to see the Pope get on a plane. Uh, and clean that thing out from top to bottom and make a huge deal out of this. This is the second time, and I don't see that happening. Do you? No, I don't, and, and that's, that's, that's the real heartbreaker of all of this. Is I don't see any, any, um, any, any attempt to, to address what, what is the problem. I mean, the problem is not... Uh, you know, you know what the, the Catholic Church refers to this as sexual immaturity, for instance. But they will not call it by its name. It, 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 it has a name. Its name is, you know, it's, it's perversion and homosexual pedophilia. That's, that's what we've got. Steve, thank you very much. We'll be watching it, and um, as you watch it, um, make sure you call up and, and give us an update. Irma, North Carolina. Hi, Glenn. It's an honor. Thank you. A true honor. Thank you. Um, Glenn, I'm also a lifelong Catholic like Steve, um, and in trying to distill all of this and incorporate it into my, into my faith and, and my everyday life, um, you know, there's anger and there's shame and there's just, um, to use your word, outrage, um, and I'm not addicted to it, but in this case, um, it applies um, power corrupts um, when you get right down to it. Um, there is a story on page 14 of our diocesan newspaper, and although it's way in the back, I mean, it's pretty pretty thorough, but it includes information that I was unaware of. The abuse of Catholic sisters, um, the abuse of students. I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah, it's bad. And fairly disgusting. Nobody's talking about term limits for for the hierarchy in the church, and I think we need to do that. And I think that... Um, Would you be for changing the way, that allowing priests to be married? Um, I think we need psychologists and psychiatrists to help us dissect what's happened and understand what's happened to see if that's a problem. I mean, you know, when I think of... Um, well, you talked about humility a week ago, and the person that came to mind is my own husband. Um, you know, I couldn't imagine being married to somebody who has this kind of propensity. So I don't know how that can be the solution, but I don't know enough about it to say, you know, yay or nay. Um, but I would certainly be interested in hearing what other people think the solution is. Yeah. I know the church is talking about panels that include lay people and, you know, other members that are not priests who, who work within the church, and I think that's all fine and good, but I think, you know, like Steve said, we have to understand why this is happening before we can get to a, to a solution. But, <clears throat> you know, there's an analogy to be made here um, with, with our own government. It's the church is big. 
and um, and it might be it, it might be beneficial to move people around more. Um, parish priests are transferred from I think that's to that, another. But that was with, part, that was part of actually the deal. They were, you know, they, that that was what happened in the '90s, and they just made it worse it. here. Right, shuffling made it, worse. it. However, yeah. however, it would leave. Um, it would. <laughs> When it's when it's less um, concentrated, yeah. and and as our awareness increases, it's just a good it's a good example of how perception is not reality all the time. Yeah. And I think that as lay people, as the people within the church, become more conscious of what's going on, and you know, victims or people who feel that they might be becoming a victim are encouraged to speak out, then. Yeah. then they would not, I, I think the power would not be so deep-seated. Right. But I do think right. that there's, I, I, I don't understand enough about being a bishop to say whether right. or not it would be applicable, but, you know, maybe they need a term limit. Okay. Irma, thank you so much for your uh, phone call. I appreciate it. We'll continue to watch the, um, watch the story. Why'd you cut her off? She's just getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just, you just step right in and cut her off. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You hear that? It's unbelievable. It's, After what, 15, you know, I feel, 20 minutes? I feel, I feel, bad, for, I feel bad for Catholics. You know, Tanya's family, they're all Catholic. And I feel bad for them because I do too. they love their church. And mm-hmm. this is a massive blow. This Especially is, after 2002, what happened? I mean, it, was it 2000? I thought it was yes, in the 90s. It was 2002. So 2002. And you know, I mean, I think that people, I, I can't speak for other people. Watching it from the outside, I felt they still buried it. They really didn't purge well, the system. They didn't really get to the root of things. That's what the Pope himself said. He said they didn't, they didn't do enough. They didn't pay enough attention to it. They didn't act enough. And they didn't, obviously. Do you think that was enough for him thousand, to say that? A thousand, no. Uh, they need to do a lot more than that. I think, like you said, he should, he should be on a plane and get to Pennsylvania. A thousand children have been abused by 300 pre- predator priests. In seventy years, that's 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 a problem. The way they were, the mm. way they were sharing the kids too. They, it's I mean, so it bad. was a it mm. was a ring. It was a sex ring. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I if I were the pope, if I was counseling the pope, I, I and get, I hesitate to talk about it because I'm not Catholic. I've I know. been Catholic since I was twelve years old. So right. it's you, you know I don't I don't know that much about what the church has done. Um, but I just know what I hear and what yeah, I. Read. I don't want to bash the Catholic. No, I don't want, I don't to, want to, to bash, the, bash the Catholic Church, and I f- I feel for you, really, truly, Catholics. I feel for you. Oh my gosh! I can't imagine. I mean, this <clears throat> is quite a blow. But you have to stand up and demand that the Pope gets involved himself. I mean, mm-hmm. he he honestly he should be over here. And mm-hmm. it would send such a message to the world. Here he is, this beloved guy who loves children. Okay, mm-hmm. get your butt on a plane and mm-hmm. come here and heal the children and and excoriate the system and shut it down. Can you imagine what a statement that would make if he got on a plane and went to Pennsylvania? Oh, it'd be huge. Oh, 
Uh, I've I never think, seen a pope do anything like that. I think you would answer the question, yeah. does he care? Yeah. You yeah, would. he cares. He and, cares enough to be there. And you would answer the question, is the Catholic Church going to do something this time? Right. What's the environmental cost of such a move, though? Uh, I mean, taking a flight uh, over what, and it, one of the most That's major consider, moral though. challenges <laughs> yeah, we right. face is global warming. We've heard that from the church several times. <laughs> I'm well, concerned about the flight. That's what that's what makes it hard because he's got these sensibilities. Uh, do they figure in here? I don't know. I, I don't know if they do or not. But but yeah, his, well, you would think his if main he's focus a, has been if he's other a man, things. If right? he's a man of the people, you know that's what they say that you know mm-hmm. he doesn't like capitalism because it's mean to the poor and everything else. Mm-hmm. There is nothing. I mean, what what did Jesus say about abusing children? Oh man. I mean, you would you will hope that you had a millstone. If you've ever seen a millstone, they're gigantic, Mm -hmm. a millstone around your neck and thrown into the sea. I mean, that's Jesus. That's like, hey, let's all get together here. okay? let's that's Mm -hmm. Jesus saying that. Holy cow. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Francis, you might want to help here because by not helping, by not solving this. You're just killing the church. You're just killing the church. You're making it such an easy target. And really, it's not even the church. It's the people in it. I know. And but there is a, there's the a people. system there, though, like you said, a culture there that has apparently bred some of this. When you've got this kind of endemic problem in Pennsylvania, something's wrong in that system. When you've got this problem in so many different locations around the world, uh, you know, Latin America, you've got it in Australia. Uh, you've got it in Washington. You have it in Boston. I, you, you've got to root that out. Holy cow. We, we have to do this tomorrow on the phones. I'm just going to take your phones tomorrow. Look at the, the phone. Uh, uh, jammed uh, on this. Yeah. Uh, so we have to spend some, some time on this tomorrow. What are you focusing on with your show today? Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, for one thing, the, the PragerU situation, um, which you know Facebook cut their... Yeah, cut their reach ninety nine point nine 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 percent. So people could see still see the so, video. So though. you can still see yeah. the video. Whereas, <laughs> as long as you were that in that point zero zero one, they have right. Mm-hmm. They have three million followers on PragerU. Uh, usually about fifty to ninety five thousand people see and share the videos. One to three people in the last week saw and shared the videos. One. Two, three. <laughs> that is, that is so, amazing. You know, maybe two. So maybe two. Or one. Yeah. Or three. Right. People. I think but we should not address. 95,000. No. I think we should address this um, as well. Um, uh, Something's I, wrong, I, man. You went to you went to Facebook and, and I was moved by the impression you had of Zuckerberg, but doesn't seem to be that anymore. They did say they did try. They said they... You know, they fixed it. They fixed supposedly. it. Supposedly. But, yeah, but how many in the times first do they place? have to fix it? How right. many times do they have to fix it? And what happened in the first place? You've got, there's another system-wide problem. Yeah. Well, um, we have to talk about this uh, tomorrow. And I, I'd like to have a serious conversation with you as a listener because um, uh, conservative voices are being targeted. Mm-hmm. And and I, I believe there is a chance in the next... Um, in the next uh, four to five years that voices like mine could very well be gone. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I had a serious conversation with my family this weekend. I talked to Tanya and I said, I, I want to show you some things that, you know, I'm not sharing with, with everybody on what's happening. Uh, and I said, uh, we, we could be talking to ourselves quickly. Um, and you need to know about it. Um, and we need to come together as a group of people that believe in the Bill of Rights because it's being lost. First they came for Alex Jones and I did nothing. Yep. And did you see what Bill Maher said? Yeah. Holy cow. That guy believes in first in the First Amendment. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah, he's good on great. that. Great. All right. Uh, if we have time, we'll play that on the other side of the break. Uh, in the meantime, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's uh, Filter By. Filter by uh, the wildfires in California have not only displaced so many people in our hearts and prayers and our our money going out to uh, help the people in California, but all of that um, all of the smoke and the dust and everything that's picked up is now in the Midwest and it's actually affecting your air quality. We don't even realize it, but that's what's that's what's happening. If you haven't checked your filter lately, you should. Some parts of the country, it's going to be very, very dirty, uh, and that only puts extra um, drain on your um, on your HVAC system. So, you know, last thing, oh man, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse in the winter. I can light the fire. In the summer, the air conditioning goes down, and you just want to hang yourself. You're like, wait a minute, what? What do you mean you'll be here in three days? Uh, make sure you change your filters. Now with FilterBuy, they carry over 600 sizes. They ship for free within 24 hours. They're made right here in America. And if you want to save an extra 5%, they'll put you on a schedule so you can replace it as the manufacturer of the HVAC system says you should, and they'll just send it to you. Save time, save money, breathe better. FilterBuy. That's FilterBuy.com. FilterBuy.com. Glenn Beck. For annoying as Bill Maher is, uh, he once in a while gets it right, and I wouldn't have expected him to say anything other than this, but boy, his audience certainly expected something different, and so did Senator Kirsten Gilderbrand. Listen to this on First Amendment rights. Because Alex Jones, uh, who is not my friend and who tells crazy lies about me, uh, is uh, thrown off Twitter, I think, and Facebook and a few other platforms. I think he's going to... Thank God! Uh, That's Senator Gilderbrand, thank God. If you're a liberal, you're supposed to be for free speech. That's free speech for the speech speech you hate. That's what free speech means. We're losing the thread of the concepts that are important to this country. If you care about the real American... Or you don't. And if you do, it goes for every side. I don't like Alex Jones, but Alex Jones gets to speak. Everybody gets to speak. <laughs> that, that's where we all need to be. Reactions really incredible there. Yeah. Cheering for him being banned and not a, not a single clap for him saying free speech should be protected. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of felt maybe, hopefully, they were a little ashamed of themselves going, oh, yeah, crap, mm-hmm. you're right. But look at the automatic response. Yeah, we shut him down. Glenn Beck, Mercury.